Out Bureau. Let's chat, share, learn, grow, and be inspired together. In each episode, we'll have casual and informative conversations with interesting LGBTQ professionals. We'll chat with LGBTQ entrepreneurs about their inspiration, strategies, startup journey, successes, and balanced with insights from lessons learned. We'll also talk with leaders in diversity and inclusion and community allies across many sectors. Please subscribe to the podcast and join the online community at outbureau.com. That's O-U-T-B-U-R-O dot com. Hi there, I'm Dennis Velko with Out Bureau. That is O-U-T-B-U-R-O dot com. We are launching a video interview and podcast series to feature LGBT professionals, entrepreneurs, and community leaders throughout the globe. And I am so fortunate today to start off that global trotting with Celia Daniels, who was born and raised in India and then immigrated to the United States uh, where she was working in as a uh, business uh, uh, manager and, and project manager. And I'll let her tell more of her story because Celia Daniels is a transgender activist, uh, married to a female, has a daughter, and is active in the LA community area in the transgender community. Uh, Celia, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy week to have a conversation uh, with us. And we're going to have a very casual, as in all of our future conversations here on OutBureau.com, we're going to have a very casual conversation. Um, and we're all human, so little snafus happen uh, in, in our uh, speech and words and so forth, but that's okay. That's what makes us all unique and human. So Celia, Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Dennis. I thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And I'm so happy to be a part of your, your initiative. And it's, it's, it's such a blessing to be here. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, so, Celia, yeah, we had an opportunity to get to know uh, each other just a little bit um, a, about a week or so ago. And you have such an interesting story. Uh, could you give um, the viewers and the listeners a little bit of your history, um, you know, coming from India? Tell us about, you know, kind of the beginnings and, of course, having the focus in and around your uh, awareness and, and issues and so forth as growing up in India. And uh, so, so I don't want to preempt it too much for you because it's your story. So uh, tell us a little bit about how, whatever you're comfortable with in sharing. Yeah, thank you, um, Dennis. Absolutely. So uh, my name is Celia Sandhya Daniels. I identify as a gender fluid person and I express more as a trans feminine woman. I'm a non-op transgender who's, I'm an entrepreneur, a musician, a father, a husband, and also a management consultant. And I have my own business. And I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing today because this is a really important Voices like ours needs to be heard. And thank you for, Dennis, for this platform. I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed and I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, so I grew up in a 
in a South Asian community um, back in India. It's a small town called Chennai. I grew up in this little town. And when I was four years old, my mom knew that I was different. And I told my mom that I wanted to be a girl. And those are the times I was dreaming about the aspect of being a girl. And I didn't know that it was wrong. And that was something that I, it was told by my parents when I was almost seven years old. My mom told me that, hey, you cannot dress up or you cannot pretend to be a girl because you seem to like, you know, you're thinking that you're a girl. And I told my mom that I really wanted to be a girl. I was throwing tantrums and, you know, I was doing all kinds of things. And my mom told me that, hey, um, you know, looking at the social constructs of the British government, which is so binary in India, she was absolutely clear that you're a boy and you cannot be a girl anymore. Hmm. That led to a lot of doubt in my mind. You know, I started from dreaming and then I went to this point where I started doubting myself. And the biggest doubt that I had was, what's going on with me? I'm a boy. Why am I so interested in being a girl? I love girls and I wanted to be a girl. And growing up in a conservative community and a conservative household in India, it was really hard for me to be in a closet. And I was completely closeted and I didn't want to express because it was very difficult. It was mm. like having a white noise all the time in my head that kept telling me that I'm a girl. And every morning I would wake up trying to prove to the public, to my friends, that I'm a boy. So I, I was, I, I took part in some of the most interesting events in, in school, in sports, and I was always trying to be macho in my life. And, um, and every aspect of it, I really enjoyed. But also I was going through a lot of trauma while you have these kind of emotions, which are so, difficult to handle as a child. I couldn't mm. talk to my parents about it. And they were conservative Christians. And I was not sure my mom would understand. They would just say, pray about it. Um, and I, I do believe in prayer, but at that time, it wasn't really helping me as a child growing up with an inner trauma. And while I was growing up, I went through this doubt and I didn't believe in myself. And my self-esteem went really low. And there was a point where um, in my fourth grade, my uncle um, molested me. Mm. Um, it was really hard for me to understand why he did that to me when I was a child. And just two years after that, I was again molested by my cousin brother. And that's the time I felt so unworthy. I just blamed myself. I blamed my whole being that, you know, they are doing it to me because I am different. And probably I look like a girl to them. You know, I, I just took all that and I couldn't express it to anybody. It was really hard childhood. I tried killing myself many times. I had a lot of thoughts on self-harm because I was doubting myself. And I wish my parents were more open to understanding what was going on. I wish the community that I grew in, I was able to talk to someone, my doctor or my therapist or anybody but that's not how Indian culture was. Right. When you have a mental problem, you just kind of you know, suck it up. So I would just suppress my femininity and I learned to survive. I remember um, this doubt kept going throughout my life. And I remember in my ninth grade, I tried coming out. Uh, I wore this little skirt and a, and a top and a scarf around my head pretending to be a girl. I went outside one evening uh, I was pulled by a few men um, who were in a construction site. 
they looked at me and said, that person looks different. And they watched me really close and said, oh, that's a hijra boy. And they started making fun of me. All kinds of derogatory words that you can find in Tamil dictionary was on me. Mm. I stood there just helplessly, um, not knowing what to do. The only See, thought that ran in my mind at the time was, I don't want my parents to know. No matter what you do to me today, you can beat me up or you can tie me up or whatever, but I don't want you to tell my dad. And that's the kind of feeling I had even in amidst that discrimination. And I was looking for some help and I pretended to uh, speak Hindi. Uh, I was trying to distract them and I was successful in that. I spoke in some other language since I knew Hindi and they were confused. And I said, I'm actually here for the market. And, um, and I, I just, I, I ran away, literally ran away from that scene. Mm. I came back home. Scary. It was, and I was so scared. And, and, the only and you were only at, at ninth grade at that point? Ninth grade at that point. Wow. And the first thing that hit me was I, you know, at the chain of events that happened in my life, I always thought that I'm not worthy. And when I, when this incident happened, it took to me, uh, you know, I, I was so upset that I wanted to kill myself, hmm. but I was afraid to die. And I was also afraid to live. It was such a difficult situation in your life where you don't know whether to go further or go backwards. And my dream was to survive as a person who was going through these issues. My friends were looking at, you know, what are the possible colleges they can join? My only concern was how am I going to get through my college education with all these gender issues that I have? And I did. I, I focused on music. I did focus my, my attention on a lot of things. Uh, finally, I remember um, I was... Um, uh, I did well, I did well in college and I did my master's in computer science um, and I was really good in music and that kind of kept me going for a while. I wrote my songs and all my songs were about my stories, my inner turmoil that I was going through. Oh, and that's, I a very, that's a very good outlet. Now, did that college, I mean, depending on what year it was, you know, and of course the country and culture, did it have like a lot of colleges here in the United States, like an LGBT resource center for students or did that not exist for you? No, no. Um, so when I, I mean, I was born in the early, late 60s, I would say in 70s, uh, early 70s. When I went to college, it was in my late 80s. And in India, there was no focus on transgender community, let alone LGBTQ community. There was only, oh. there was no focus on the transgender community. It was all about um, the hijra community and it was all about um, the begging that's going on in the streets the sex work that they are doing so the focus was more on a community that was ostracized by the society and it was more of a pity party for them you know like well, let's help these people give them some food try to get them off the streets but they didn't realize that a lot of people who have not come out are still like me they are living in the in the same country and but only unfortunately the colleges didn't have any mental health or they didn't have any resources for people who are struggling with mental health or gender dysphoria as we call it now but at the time if you come out what happened was you you were just put in a psychiatric ward and they gave you an anxiety medicine wow and i remember one of my friend uh, i would be talking about her dr kalki subramaniam 
when she told me that when she came out very early during her childhood, um, they were just, she was just put in a psychiatric ward and they were just, the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with your son. At that point, she was identifying as her son. Um, but the doctor said, you know, this is nothing that we can change because this person is like that. So it was really hard for any doctor, psychiatrist, or therapist to really give a solution for someone like me in India at the time. So I was from a stage of dreaming to doubting. And then the next stage that I went to was denial. Uh, this was the most difficult stage because when you know that you have a problem and then you start looking at you know what, I can beat it. Uh, it's nothing is going to happen to me. I'm going to be fine. Maybe it's some kind of a fetish. I'll get over it. So I was, my, I was really, really interested in women. And uh, there was a time when I got married and my parents were asking me, uh, would you want to get married? This is the time. It was the, it was the days of arranged marriage <laughs> during those days. So I met my, uh, my wife and my future wife at the time. And we were chatting and she asked me, do you have anything in your life that you want to talk about? And I told her, no, I'm doing okay. You know, even at that time, I was absolutely sure that I would be able to get over this. So I thought this femininity will go away as I grow older. But we got married. Um, I came to US. I was in a good job. Um, I was working for some good multinational firms in New York. While I was here, um, two years were fantastic, but the whole thing started coming back. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. And I was in denial and I was telling um, myself that, oh my God, I thought if I get married, this will go away, but it's not going away. What do I need to do to have a normal life? How do I get over it? I don't want to be a girl. I'm really successful as a businessman and I think this is fine in my life. I want to do this, but I couldn't. It was really hard. I had a child at the time and I came out to my wife after four years and I told her, sweetheart, I'm going through something I want you to know. She didn't have enough information. I didn't have enough information. All I knew was you're either a cross-dresser or a transsexual. I didn't identify in either binaries. <laughs> I would call it binaries at the time. Um, it wasn't binary, but I, I didn't identify in either of these categories. Okay. I couldn't identify as a, a cross-dresser because it was not about dressing to me at the time. I didn't identify as a transsexual because I didn't want to change my sex. And here I was um, talking to people, finding acceptance, finding people like me and trying to educate myself. And I, I lived in denial for a very long time till uh, one day I realized that my life is going to be like this. I can't change. So what do I need to do? And the more and more I started talking to people, I had a lot more exposure, um, meeting different kinds, uh, different ethnicities. You know, I found, I, I had a lot of friends. They call it a cross-dressers group at the, those days. And I met people from different countries. They had the same problem interestingly. And then I knew I'm not alone. Oh, wow. There are so many people like me, uh, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. They are like me. And it was interesting. And I started, um, I, the acceptance was fine. I was moving out from the denial stage and I was trying to discover myself. But during the time I was discovering, I was finding acceptance in the wrong places, which a lot of people still do. 
So I used to go to bars and I found acceptance from the people who were actually undermining my existence. And they looked at me as a sex object. They would ask me, you know, can I have sex with you? Or can you, would you sleep with me for $20, you know? And it was horrible going through those experiences where I, I thought to myself, I'm such a, an, a, I'm a family person and I have this issue and I'm coming to this bar because it's a gay bar and they have a trans night in this gay bar where, and that's the only night I can express myself. I didn't come here to have sex. I just want to be myself. I wish you, wanted the world a was you wanted a place of acceptance and safety. And that's here you true. are, you know, a successful business person, a wife and a child at home, and you just needed a, a space where yeah. the community would accept you. And what you're, what you're, what I'm hearing is, is, you were basically reduced to a sex object and a right. you know twenty dollar prostitute in their eyes. That's, that's horrific. That is so it's horrible. It's horrible. horrific. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but unfortunately, that's what it was. Um, even after I moved to California, that's the you could either come out and and get harassed in the community, or you could go to these places and find acceptance and just. Uh, live in the dark, live in the shadows. Mm. And I didn't want to do that. I, I did not want to be in the shadow. I wanted to come out as who I am, but I was afraid to come out because I was doing well in my company and I was a partner in my company and I was doing really well. I was worried what the senior management would think if I come out, right. which was really hard for me. And I was abused in a bar by another trans person, interestingly, um, which I did not expect. And I was so upset. I remember it was early in 2011. I was sitting in my car at 2.30 in the morning and crying. And um, I was thinking to myself, I am such a decent person. All the struggles that I went through in my life since I was four years old, is it all just reducing to this bar? All these experiences, all this, the, 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 the difficult times that I went through, is it all because I want to spend my time in a bar getting abused and discriminated by people? And then that was a wake-up call for me. And I went to a Transgender Day of Remembrance in LA. I remember, and I knew that people like me, a person of color, could get killed for who you are in this country. And that was a real yes. wake-up call for me. And I thought to myself, if I can save one life, if I can save one trans person, how would I do it? And where do I start? And that was a good wake up call. Hmm. And that was the time I started uh, contacting a lot more people. I went to LA LGBTQ Center, I spoke to them, I asked them for help. And I was in touch with a lesbian pastor who really helped me a lot. And um, she said, you know, you can come to a church and be who you are and you don't have to worry about um, people name calling you or labeling you. We just love you the way you are. I found so much of acceptance in communities and um, unfortunately I did not find acceptance within my own transgender community <laughs> wow. because they told me that, um, yeah, it is kind of um, bizarre, but they told me that you are not authentic because you're not a full-time trans or you're not completely had, you have not had a sex change and you need to change your sex. Hmm. If you want to be one of us, if you want to be authentic, that's what you need to do. And I, I looked at my life and I thought, you know, I don't have to change my sex to be who I am because if I change my sex, I'll still do what I'm doing. 
So why do I need to change my sex? And I have medical complications too. And I have a family and I, I didn't hate my being who I am. And I didn't hate my male persona. And though I wanted to come out as Celia, I always had this Daniels as a part of my life because Daniels is the one who created Celia and Celia is a part of Daniel. And I didn't want to completely sever that relationship and say, you know what, I'm gonna become a woman. And I still loved a part of me in me. And that's why I'm gender fluid. And I didn't and, want to change my sex because and I, I could see where, you know, that's, that's the whole you and we are all unique and mm -hmm. we are all not only, you know, the gender fluid, but everyone is on a, you know, a spectrum and, and exactly. several spectrums at, at mm -hmm. once. And so, so, so very interesting. So, um, so you, you, you met that um, pastor who helped give you some advice, advice and, and create a safe space. Um, and you started going to the LGBTQ center there in Los Angeles. And um, where did you, what did that springboard for you? Where did that take you next? Absolutely. So I started educating myself. Um, I'm a biologist and I have a lot of experience in healthcare. I started thinking about the question why. It wasn't about what I am or it was about who I'm going to be. And I started discovering that there are people like me in this world and I need to come out and tell my story. So that really helped me to come out. I had a platform from that church where I could tell my story and also understand what's going on with me. I went for conferences. I read a lot of articles, journals by medical, uh, American medical journals. I started reading about psychology today um, and so many articles that really helped me educate myself. And then it all hit me, you know, like there are people like me who live in this country, who live in this world. And since we are a minority, our stories are not being told. And I started thinking about it and I said, you know what, I am, I think I have something that I wanted to help. So it started from the nature of helping someone like me. And that really helped me to first come up with my story. And though I had a backlash, backlash in my own community, people didn't like me um, because um, they were saying that this is a man in a dress who needs medical help. And that was the, that was the kind of uh, press I got in my own community. <laughs> and um, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I thought people would accept me. You know, they are Christians. No, they did not like me. They were, they were so hurtful. And mm. uh, some of them, were, most of them were from the Christian community. I'm a Christian myself and I do believe in God. I do believe in Bible. But I, the Bible that I know is totally different from the Bible they knew. It was very interesting. But anyway, going through all this, it was a big springboard for me to think about it more and more that why do I need to adhere to all these labels and what people are telling me? I need to find my own journey. This yes. is my journey. I have to discover what's going on with me, my family, and people like me. And that was a springing, springboard, I would say. Um, and I started coming out a little bit more and a little bit more. And um, that really helped me to start some support groups within my own uh, county here in, in, uh, in, in LA. And also I went to a lot of organizations. I heard stories from parents about their children. I heard stories about um, 
coming out. I heard some horrific stories about coming out and still having problems, especially coming out in the workplace was a big deal for me. Sure. I really wanted to come out. And I, though I came out in my community, people knew me as Celia in the community because I was not just involved with the trans and LGBTQ. I was involved with every issues that touched human lives, like gun violence, healthcare, immigration policies, civil rights, anything that was relating to civil rights. So I joined organizations that would fight for people like me, not just for me, but also for people who are minorities, Black, African-American, Filipinos, Asian-American, um, the Latino community. So I joined hands with a lot of the civil rights movements and also started working with them. And that's mm -hmm. when I found that they were educating me with what issues they were going through. And I was educating them with my issues. Wow. And it was interesting because all of us had problems. We were all trying to solve problems. And in the process, we were learning about each other and working together. And that was an amazing allyship that I saw uh, in the process of coming out, a wonderful springboard, and also not about me, but people who are struggling with healthcare issues. How do I deal with it? So those are some of the areas that I came out and I started thinking about homelessness, uh, lots of things, right? Housing issues and um, even incarceration. If you're arrested by the police, what do you do? Uh, anyway, those are the areas that I came out. And I, hmm. you know, I, I was so glad that I had lots of allies that I could come out and uh, we could uh, look at each other's problems and uh, help each other. Very, very interesting how you've taken your own life and your own situation and then by necessity and seeing the lack within even the, the LGBT community, you know, my, one of my things is like, you know, it, when we want diversity and inclusion, we also have to be and model diversity and inclusion in its totality. Mm -hmm. And it's very disheartening to hear the issues that you faced within, within just that, the LGBT and specifically in the, the trans community. Mm -hmm. And what, what's so wonderful is that instead of just dwindling away you proactively sought how to build your community and build your voice and what you stand for and reaching out to other organizations and other people that they don't have the same issue as you but their similarities and or just just your giving heart wanting to try to be there because you you wanted someone to be there for you and so now you're you have been working to be there for others so that 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 mm -hmm. is so um that that's amazing so now when you are working with those organizations do you always present as Celia so does that do, do all of those organizations know you as Celia Absolutely. So I started coming out as Celia first and uh, people in the community know me as Celia. And when I started coming out as Celia, almost five years, a lot of the organizations that I work with are like PFLAG um, and some of the fluid groups that I, it's called fluid. It's one of the groups that we formed here for gender non-binary as well. 
So in my group, I came out as Daniels as well, because I wanted people to see that I am not just, um, you know, representing my female persona, but also I had other uh, persona that they have not seen. And, you know, in fact, they started saying that, can you come out as Daniels? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I know. You know, it's so funny. So I started, um, you know, once they knew Celia, I, I said, you need to meet the other side of me. Uh, and I, I started coming out in my male persona because I said, I'm a two-spirited person. You know, end of the day, I'm a human being with two personas and two spirits. And I wanted to amplify and exhibit those two spirits to solve any problem in this world. Sometimes there may be spaces where Daniels can actually be there to help Celia and Celia might be able to be uh, an advocate for Daniels. So I also came out in my workplace. Uh, so it was interesting, uh, though I worked as Daniels in my workplace, when I came out as um, a gender fluid person, people wanted to see me as a girl. They said, hey, we want to see you as a girl. Can you come in a sari tomorrow? And I told wow. them that this is not Halloween, you know? <laughs> I mean, I told them in a nice way that it doesn't work. When you're gender fluid, um, you're going through a lot of issues too. And uh, especially being in both personas, it's kind of, that's the way your mind and your body is wired too. So you're dealing with gender dysphoria and that's the uh, pros and cons. You don't have pros and cons. And the, the con was I had gender dysphoria. So when I'm Celia, I have my, the way I talk is different. The way I behave, my, my, my entire behavior is changing. And when I'm Daniels, it's completely different. And my voice changes too. Um, the way I drive my car is different. The way I use my toilet is different. <laughs> really? So so Even the way you drive your car. Yeah, it's so interesting. I didn't realize that. And it was so, so funny. And the way I walk is different um, because, you know, I, it is so interesting how human nature and human beings are wired through your brain. When you have that feminine gender identity in your brain, your brain automatically starts functioning like a woman and you know that it seems right and it feels right. And there are times when I wanted to switch off and I wanted to be Daniel because I, you know, there are, there's like 80% of my life I live as Celia and there is a few percentage of my life, almost 20% or 10% I live as Daniels. And while I'm Daniel, um, there are areas, especially in my house, my wife was um, comfortable seeing me as Daniel more. And she's a cisgender woman. And I told her that I will always be your husband. And I told my daughter, I'll always be your dad. And I've told my brother that I'll always be your brother. It's not gonna change. I'm a human being with two genders. But there is a part of me which I thought was shameful all through my life. And that's the part of me that I want to amplify. I can live my life as Daniels and move on, but I want to amplify the person that I've never introduced to the world, and that is Celia. Mm -hmm. So this is Celia, and these are the problems that I'm facing, and I want you to know. And my wife said, sweetheart, I'm really proud of you. And I cannot get any, any more compliment. Unfortunately, I could have told my parents, but both my parents passed away. And I am so happy when I, when my family accepted me, when my wife accepted me. So there are places in my life where I have been Daniel, um, but I have started amplifying Celia's voice more because this is what is the difficult part. Being Daniel's in my birth identity was easy. And this is the tough part. Right.
and it's the, the part of you that was forced to be suppressed and forced to feel shame and, you know, kind of like a pendulum swing when, you know, when you're forced in this way, you know, a portion, it, it's natural that it goes in equal magnitude in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And for some, t- for some people that could, you know, that pen, what I, again, kind of put the analogy of the pendulum swing, you know, some people can take that into a very unhealthy way of expression mm-hmm. through drugs, alcohol, um, cr- other crime, um, self harm, harm to others, and so forth. And so it's so um, wonderful to hear how you have been channeling uh, the pain of your past into not only a bright future for yourself, but trying to be there and be a role model and give to the community at large so that others don't have to go through what you went through. Thank you so much for being part of part of the community and being your full and authentic self in what you do. Um, you know, I, I you, you mentioned that you came out to your employer, but early on, you also said that you have your your own consulting business. Uh, we, you don't have to divulge uh, a whole lot here, but you know, what is your, your business as far as what does it focus on? What do you do? So we talked about, you know, what you do for yourself and the community. Uh, could we spend just a few moments and talk about that professional side, uh, of life and what you do for your, your clients or customers? Mm -hmm. So I'm a management consultant. Um, I have my experience in, um, I would say in healthcare and life sciences, I worked with lots of um, Blue Cross and Blue Shields, uh, United Health, mostly in the payer side of the industry. And I'm now focusing, uh, I'm now focusing more on the pharmaceutical companies, uh, especially being a strategic consultant. And I do strategy, uh, business strategy. I also work with them in terms of IT strategy, um, especially when it's global. And I managed up in a lot close to 45 million. Um, and that's the, and almost that in certain times I had PLs up to 200 million in my uh, companies that I work with. And I worked with a lot of uh, research firms and clinical trials. I've also worked with consulting companies, pure play consulting, big fives. Um, and I've also done a lot of work, especially globally, I would say having uh, teams all over Europe and India and Puerto Rico and lots of other um, uh, consulting work that I've done throughout my career. Um, and I, I'm, I'm so happy with my experience, the management experience, because it has given me a lot of insights into how things work. And especially even in the nonprofit side of the world, um, how do you accelerate some of the areas where you can think as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. add your ability to that part of side of the business. So in my business, I focus more on management consulting and I also help these companies uh, mostly startups. I help them move uh, the needle. And while I'm working with small, large to mid, mid-sized, mid to and large size companies, I see a lot of difference. And I see um, that everyone is battling with a similar issues about people, process, and technology. 
-hmm. And when you really look at the people side of it, that's where my experience from the community really comes in. Mm -hmm. So I have, have, I had teams almost uh, close to uh, 600 people were reporting to me directly. Uh, I had managers uh, work close to 120, 150 people reporting to me directly. Um, and um, I've always tried to be a human being with them. You know, I was a friend with them. I was not just the boss, but I was also being a, a servant leader. And I learned that concept of that. And I think it comes from my femininity too, probably, because I've learned to be more patient. You know, they would always love to talk to me. They would just call and say, I want to talk to you. I'm going through some problems. And I would just listen to them. Wow. So I learned the art of listening. And that's something which Indians don't really do well. <laughs> and <laughs> that's something that, you know, we always love to talk and I love to talk, but uh, I, I, I started listening. So um, I'm a people person that really helped me to accelerate that side of the business too. Uh, customer relationship was fantastic because I could really relate to the customer. I wouldn't sell. And I though I was selling clinical trials, I, I just wouldn't sell. I would just talk to them about their daily lives and, and then go about, and what, what is their goals? What is the mission? How do I help you uh, achieve those goals? And then when I looked at processes, uh, what is it currently that's going well? What is working for you? How do we change it? And then, of course, technology is a part where you can, you know, we use all the latest technologies, and I am updated about what's going on in the cloud environment or digital world, what's going on in social media, how do we influence a patient ecosystem. Um, mm. And I look at it very differently. And I've ad adopted those concepts from a patient ecosystem to a transgender ecosystem, which mm. I uh, gave an idea to um, the California state. Wow. So it is interesting because you can actually take some of your business ideas and apply it to a nonprofit side of the world. And I, sure. I just put a diagram about uh, how this can work for a transgender non and a gender non-binary uh, non community. Um, and they were super thrilled. And they took my article and put it in one of the recommendations for the state and also for the federal if needed. So I, I'm so happy that my uh, business experience is being helpful in both sides. And my community experience has been helpful in my business side as well. I'm so sure. I, and now, right now, now I started looking at, um, areas where I can bring a change in a company, you know, looking at how do we, what is the fundamental goal of the CEO and what are the CEOs dabbling with? How do they look at employee empowerment? How do they build their brand levels and how do, how can we help them? And so there is always a productivity, you're looking at always opportunities to help the companies uh, grow and move in the right direction. Uh, especially you want them to be profitable. You want them to be productive and you also want them to be strategic and innovative. So um, when you hire people who are different and diverse, and especially the trans community, there are a lot of people who don't want to come out. And when you address that issue, then it's really helpful. For me, uh, for instance, I wasn't this vocal when I was um, Daniels. <laughs> and once I started coming out as Celia, a lot of energy started, you know, there's so much of positive energy in my life. I don't have to pretend. And I said, this is what you see is what you get. And um, I can help your company move your needle forward. And they were actually super thrilled. But unfortunately, I have some sad stories, which I'll share later. But um, I think the companies are still dabbling with accepting a trans person at a senior level. Um, mm. But uh, it's, it's okay. They were willing to hire me at a junior level to kind of brand their companies. And uh, that's what I, I sometimes feel a little sad about 
that I wish companies would really hire me at a senior position because if they could hire Daniel at a senior position, then they should probably hire Celia at the same level. But unfortunately, women are fighting for the rights. When women are fighting for rights, trans folks, it's really hard. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think we, we, we talked about um, you once applied for a job, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and, and had all of your, um, your community work and, and on it. And uh, tell me a little bit, uh, tell the audience a little bit about that, because that was, that was quite interesting and it, it, it proves your Absolutely. point. Right. So um, when I started coming out as gender fluid person, I wanted to, I want the companies to know me as both Celia and Daniels. You know, that's something that I was trying to do. Um, So I put my resume together and my legal name was Daniels and I had Celia also in a bracket. And I, I put all my professional experience and I also put my community experience because it matters when as a person at a senior level, it shows your involvement as a whole, as a, you know. So I put all this uh, and I I put in my resume, I put a cow letter, I was looking for jobs. And I went to all the companies that has pride flag. I took all the companies that had corporate equality indexes 100%. So I I started aiming those companies and I started applying for a job. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get uh, responses. Not that I should get a response, you know, even on a normal day, only if they have a need, they would respond to you. But the interesting thing was, I wrote a lot about my community work and I said, I'm a gender fluid person, I'm a non-op trans, and this is what I'm doing. Um, Companies like Salesforce, companies that I work with, like Accenture, IBM, they have a lot of pride flag and they are, and I thought um, it would be an advantage for them to hire a person who can create a big diversity within the company. And also, you know, productivity and experience that I bring to the table. Uh, they are not hiring someone at a, and I have 25 plus ex, years of experience in mm-hmm. this field. So it's not someone from the street. Unfortunately, I tried for more than 30 companies and most of the companies were really happy. They spoke to me. They said, uh, we really appreciate your experience. You have a wonderful package of experience that you have in healthcare and life sciences. But unfortunately, we can hire you as a case manager. And I was thinking to myself that I have built case manager businesses for $30 million across the globe. And here I am actually being offered a job of a case manager at a medical firm. And I told them this, and I told them the truth that why hasn't your perception changed? You have gone through my resume. Most of the companies, they came back and said, Celia, companies are not really ready to hire a person at a senior level. If you work for a company and if you come out in that company at a senior level, you'll be fine because that's how most of the people are. But if I go to a company and say, hey, hire me at a vice president level, not gonna happen. And I've got a really a bad uh, rep from most of these companies and they were really happy. They didn't wanna hire me. So and, what and I did- Just to clarify, did, just to clarify, um, how, how long ago was that? Uh, that was two years back. Two years ago. Okay, not long ago at all. And you, you said that all of those companies that you applied for and had those conversations are companies that are currently on the Human Rights Campaign Corporate Equality Index with 100% scores. Yeah. So, and uh, the interesting thing was this. And those companies, I went to a trans job fair, and a lot of those companies were already there. 
And um, so it made me think that, oh, if these people are passionate about hiring friends at work, um, here you go. But unfortunately, I didn't get any response from them. And the only one response that I got was, hey, um, Celia, I'm so sorry. Our board is very conservative. Our senior leadership is very conservative. Um, I don't think they even have a person of color in the leadership. And I'm, I'm so sorry, but I have to tell you that I can get you through the interview, but they will not hire you, Celia. I'm so sorry. Wow. And this was told by a senior vice president of a company. And I'm not going to name companies here, but I think they, are, they have good intentions. You know, they want to change. And that's what I want to do. Um, they are not ready yet, but we have to change these companies. So here's a good ending here, right? So I tried all these companies and then I stripped all the Celia from my resume. It was only Daniel's and all the corporate experience. And after six months of searching for a job as Celia, I went for, I put my resume out there. In one month, I had three interviews just as Daniel's and companies were calling me, no questions asked and even no interviews actually. It was just a formal, informal interview. It was like, hey, tell me about yourself. And I just spoke proudly about myself. And I was had three interviews lined up. And I was thinking to myself, I want to join a company where I can be Celia's and Daniel's together. And I didn't see any companies being really prepared for it. So I started my own company. And I went back to these companies and I'm now consulting them, <laughs> which okay. is interesting. Hope, so hope, I, hopefully for a lot more per hour. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, I mean, you know how consulting works, right? So uh, I came out as Daniels and as Celia in, in, with, with my clients' uh, client base, and I've done that. And they are, in fact, uh, super thrilled because I'm not an employee of the company. They don't have policies anywhere. But I'm working with them right now, and I'm, I'm actually bringing a lot of trans-related companies and a companies that can change them uh, in terms of policies. Look at the current policies and suggest some recommendations in terms of how do you hire gender non-binary folks in your workforce. So I was telling them stories about how do you, how does your next generation workforce look like? You know, how, how, it's not going to be just your, you know, your traditional people, but it's going to be virtual as well. Mm -hmm. So um, if you don't want to have employees in your in an office, you're looking at a virtual office and that's the great opportunity for trans people who are really uncomfortable going out to an office and getting uh, you know, the whole rep. And that might be another environment for them to actually come out and still contribute to the productivity of a company. Mm. So um, I've given a lot of ideas, um, but I think the companies still have to move the needle, uh, not just pink washing you know, during the June month, but. Um, I, I also talked about, you know, diversity and inclusion. That's one of the things that I talk about a lot. And I believe that it's good for companies to have diversity and inclusion, but you need to start integrating uh, as well. Because inclusion is a process where you include, but integrating is a process where you put it in place and you make it your policy. You make it happen. And that's when you're integrating into the framework of your company. And that makes a huge difference, mm. not just inclusion, but it should be beyond that understood understood wow what what an incredible conversation of course you are uh, an exquisite uh, storyteller uh, i barely had to uh, 
speak at all. <laughs> I'm just uh, messing. No, that's 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 wonderful. Of course, we we did have um, uh, just a, a little get to know each other. Um, you know, th these conversations are unscripted and so forth. But of course, being that you and I had not actually um, ever met before. Uh, we mm -hmm. did have that uh, little bit of time to get to know each other so that you would understand where I'm coming from uh, and where my direction is going and feel confident and comfortable on coming on, coming mm -hmm. on here. And I'm so glad that you did. Um, I, I, I have had the pleasure of, of hearing a lot, but it, it's also you had some new information and some mm -hmm. new new ways of saying it today. And, you know, so for that um, young person in India that might be hearing this because uh, uh, outbureau.com is a global site and the uh, LinkedIn group is global, uh, but not even just for India, but you know, for, for people all over the world to be able to, to hear your story. I think that's so um, necessary and I'm so thrilled that uh, we've had this time today. So um, you have a fantastic weekend, and um, I will let you know when this is all up. Uh, so again, folks, uh, uh, you will see on outbureau.com, uh, up in the top right-hand corner on the menu bar, there is now the podcast tab. Um, uh, by the time this goes on, uh, we will be on nine different audio uh, uh apps that you are also able to listen to all of these podcasts while you are uh, on your way to uh, your office and commuting at the gym, uh, doing your laundry and vacuuming around your home and so forth. You'll be able to hear Out Bureau podcasts moving forward on, for example, uh, Apple iPod, Google iPod, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, and geez, a about five more. Uh, if you go to outbureau, O-U-T-B-U-R-O.com, right at the top, you're going to see podcasts. Uh, all of the locations will be there. It'll hot link you to it, as well as, uh, of course, you will find this uh, video and a little bit more information about where you can find uh, information about uh, Celia and uh, links that she will be providing me to uh, any organizations that she would like to help bring attention to. Uh, if you would like to be a guest on the outbureau.com uh, podcast and interview show, uh, please go to the more tab and the contact us and drop us a line. Uh, perhaps you'd even, <clears throat> perhaps you'd like to uh, nominate yourself uh, or another and or you would just like to uh, present a question that you would like me to integrate uh, into our conversations with uh, folks coming up. So stay tuned and I look forward to hearing, um, uh, hearing or, or I look forward to you staying tuned and hearing more from the LGBT professional and entrepreneur community. Thank you so much. And again, Celia, thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> your, your heart is obviously much larger than your body. Uh, that, <laughs> much, that, uh, that has to be a medical problem for you. So again, thank you so much. I look forward to thank continuing you. our relationship, getting to know each other. And at any time that you would like to come back and share some updates or further information, just let me know. I would be more than happy to have Absolutely. you back on. Thank you again.
Good night, everyone. I'm Dennis Velko with Out Bureau. O U T B U R O dot com. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>